Good morning, church. Uh, let's open those Bibles to John 16. We're going to begin in verse 5. John chapter 16. Uh, a little bit of family business here. Very excited to let you know and ask you to mark on your calendars and make yourself available on October 13th at 5 o'clock here in the worship center. We're going to have a big splash. Uh, if you're not familiar with what that is here at our church, that's a night that we set aside and just give opportunity for people that have never been baptized uh, into Jesus Christ and have never made that step of obedience to come. Some just show up that night and say, I want to do this. I've been wanting to, and I just didn't know who to talk to, or I, it wasn't the right time, but I'm going to take advantage of this. It's going to be a night of worship. Uh, we're going to sing together and pray together and just lift up the name of Jesus and encourage each other that way. And uh, there's going to be opportunities for people who have never been baptized to choose that night to be a part of that. Except this year, there's something unique to it. You can just show up if you want. But if you also know that that's the night that you want to be a part of this, uh, you can go to our web our webpage and uh, uh, go to the big splash uh, icon, click that, and there'll be an opportunity for you to let us know that that's the night that you want to do that. And we'd love to be in touch with you, answer any questions you have, uh, help you through this process. But please, mark down on your calendars, whether you've been immersed into Christ or not, we encourage you to be here October 13th, 5 o'clock, uh, for a night of worship and a celebration of God's goodness. Sound like a good idea? Oh, come on, you got to say this. It's in church. Sound like a great idea? Sound like the best idea I've ever had? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm milking it. All right, back to the sermon. John chapter 16. Our icon this morning is gospel. It's, it's a piece of good news. It's not just new news. It's good news. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, as Scott already mentioned this morning, we are in the last night of Jesus' life here before his crucifixion. And he is laying before his disciples a vision of what it means to be with him. He has washed their feet. He has instituted the Lord's Supper. He has told them that he is going, but he is the way, the truth, and the life to wherever he's going. And then as Cody shared with us last week, he said that there is life in him. If we abide in him, there is a supernatural power of life only available in Jesus Christ. And if we abide richly in that, even in the face of our deepest persecution, even in the face of having go into a world that does not want us, Jesus will give us power, ability, and strength. And what he says is, look at my relationship with God, and you can have that relation, same relationship with me. And he gives us hope. One of the things Cody said last week outside of the scathing attack on me at the beginning of his sermon, which I've had counseling all week to overcome. Cody told us that if you have power available to you in Jesus and you live separate of that power, you're wasting your life. <clears throat> this is what Jesus told us. And Cody saw it in the text and he shared it with us in his truth. I'd like to read today of some more power that Jesus wants us to be aware of. Verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me where are you going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. If I may paraphrase here, Jesus is saying to all of us, you guys are missing the greatest point here. I've told you I'm leaving, and you're upset that I'm leaving, but you've never asked me where I'm going. Because if you asked where I was going, it would give you hope rather than grief. And so you're grieving. Dr. Timothy Keller, he's a brilliant Bible man and a great preacher. He said there are three basic barriers to why many of us don't go into the deeper life with Jesus. He says the first is content. 
It's because we don't understand the scriptures or we've inherited an inaccurate stereotype of Christianity or we believe the Bible is what other people tell us rather than knowing it for ourselves and opening the word of God. So it's a content issue. We don't go deep with Jesus because some Christian has turned us off with what they say the Bible teaches and we're just not open to it. The second reason many of us don't go deeper in this powerful life is coherence. Keller says that sometimes people just don't want to believe that God knows more than they do about anything. So whenever they and God disagree, they turn him off. I love this part of the Bible, grace, but I don't love this part of the Bible, self-discipline. I love the fact that God forgives, but I don't want to live with self-control. I want to do whatever makes me feel good. So it's a coherence issue. It's, it doesn't fit into what I want life to be. So I can't follow Jesus because he wants me to do a different kind of life. And the third barrier to deeper discipleship is cost. Sometimes people are afraid of the cost of their current condition. They don't want to have to change their lifestyle. They don't want to have to live differently. They want to live for pleasure rather than for purpose. And then he says something interesting, and I enjoyed this. He said, some people, however, understand it, they believe it, and they're aware of the cost, but they just become overwhelmed by it. Can I have an amen if you've ever had a moment in the scriptures where you went, man, I wish that weren't in there. The truth is, sometimes it's overwhelming. Jesus doesn't say, hey, fix a few things and let's go dance. Now, Jesus says, come and die. Sometimes that's overwhelming. Jesus said, you guys are filled with grief, verse 6. But now I have said where I am going and you are filled with grief. They're overwhelmed. Thinking about it and doing some processing, since this is the 80th week of our study through the teachings of Jesus... I think it's funny that there are, yeah, there are some people who have content problems, and there are some people who have coherence problems. It's not meshing into their world, and some people have cost problems. It's too much. Jesus is asking too much of me, but I think all of us, if we're deep down honest with ourselves, we have capacity issues. What that means is, I'll put it in my terms, I've been me for 48 years. I'm not going to be good at this. And for many of us, we don't go deeper with Jesus because we're basing our ability on our ability. And Jesus says, don't do that. You have grief because you're not relying on me as the source. See Cody's sermon last week if you didn't get a chance to hear it. If Jesus isn't the source, you won't make it. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you will. It's not about cost or content or coherence it's about capacity and what i love about jesus is jesus says i'm not giving you a recipe i'm giving you help religion is a recipe do this for your own benefit christianity is the help of jesus christ to get you through life which one do you want a blueprint and recipe or help Jesus is say he's about to tell us that he's going to send someone for us while he's gone. And it will give you the power to go deeper, over and above your own capacity. Verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Now, I want a little truth test here in church. I need to warn you. Stop listening and let's participate. 
How many of us have ever had the thought or said this statement to another believer? If only I would have heard Jesus teach, seen him perform a miracle, or met him, it would be easier. How many of us have ever thought or said that? Don't be ashamed. Please don't be ashamed. Because if your hand's not up, I think you're lying. (laughs) Here's why, though. Because we believe that if we could just see Jesus, we'd believe more. Yet read the Gospels. People who saw him perform miracles still killed him. It, It isn't what you haven't seen that will change your heart. It's what you know to be true by the power of God. Because those who did see him, those who did hear him, those who were there, they didn't believe well. And many of them walked into unbelief. Jesus says, it is for your good that I am going away. I have a better solution, Jesus says, than my being here. Let's ponder what that is. Let's read verses 7 through 11. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus says he's going to send a counselor. And I want to teach you the three things that this holy counselor is going to do for us, first of all. The impact of his presence. The counselor will bring conviction. The counselor will bring conviction. He says, it's going to be better without me. And Jesus said, I'm going to send a counselor. A counselor is an interesting word. We like to call him the Holy Spirit. Some people, if you grew up in the King James world, he's the Holy Ghost. I learned something from a Scottish preacher. The preacher said that when that term was translated in the King James Version to Holy Ghost, that the the word in Great Britain for ghost meant guest. Doesn't that make a little bit of a significance there? The Holy Guest, not Casper flying around your house spooking you, but a guest into your home, someone you invite in who's a blessing. This counselor is going to come, and Jesus says he's going to make you better, stronger, give you more resources, and give you the ability and capacity to have a greater life than Jesus says if he would have stayed here. Remember being limited by space and time as Jesus was in the incarnation. He says, now I'm going to send my spirit, my counselor, and he's going to make you better, and he's going to do that by bringing conviction. The word to convict used by Jesus here means to pronounce a just verdict. When you are convicted of something, you know the conviction is right. Some have tried to convict you. Some have told you you did something. I don't know why it irritates me so much. It's part of my pride that I need to overcome. But when someone tells me what I'm thinking, it drives me to anger. Anybody else understand that feeling? Because I actually know what I'm thinking. And if I'm a person of integrity and you tell me I'm thinking something, I have to admit, <laughs> you, you know me. But when someone comes up and tells me why I did something and they're off and they still look and say, I don't care what you say, I know what you're thinking, that sends me to the deep, dark anger. But when the Holy Spirit convicts me, I can't argue because he's right. 
And when he convicts me of that feeling, Mark, that anger is not godly. That attitude is not godly. You're not repenting. You're arguing. You're fighting. That conviction is a just verdict. Now, the beautiful part of Jesus is he doesn't send the Holy Counselor to convict us so we feel horrible. Here's the good news, church. The Holy Spirit convicts us so we'll change. And if you feel horrible about changing, that's your issue. But the Holy Spirit doesn't say you're a loser and God wants nothing more to do with you. The Holy Spirit says, God loves you. Live differently. You can. And it's interesting. Jesus says he convicts us of our sin. An inescapable awareness that we have been wrong. And it can't be excused with, well, everybody else is doing it. Because it doesn't matter what everybody else does. It only matters what we're doing. He convicts us of righteousness. He shows us God's standard. You know this feeling, church. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't have those moments where the word of God is read or taught, and inside, deep down inside your soul, you say, I know that's right. I know I'm not supposed to live the way I'm living. I know that Jesus' way is better. Can I have an amen? That's the conviction of righteousness. It's not shame-filled. It's hopeful. And then there's the conviction of judgment which we all know that if we stood before God with the sin in our life, none of us would say God's being unfair. Every one of us would say God is being just. I've done all of this. Verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Please note that verse. He said, I have more to tell you, but you're not ready yet. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The goal of his ministry is comprehension. He brings a conviction that opens our hearts and minds, and then to us he brings comprehension. Jesus said, I have more to tell you, and I will, I will develop the truth in you as the Holy Spirit makes you open and available. The best way to illustrate this, if you wonder theologically what this means is, and I've asked this church to do this several times. I don't know if you have, but even if you have, I encourage you to do it again. Read the Gospels and identify what James, John, and Peter were like, and then read the book of Acts and find out what James, John, and Peter are like, and you're going to see Jesus wasn't playing. If you abide in him, he will take you deeper. If you get rid of the barriers, you can have more power, more influence, and more spiritual understanding if you open yourself up to the gift of the Holy Spirit that God's given you. But what I love about the Spirit is Jesus says, he's not going to tell you anything different than I've told you. Isn't that interesting? What is the message of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And everything the Holy Spirit does is to impact our life with comprehension of who Jesus Christ is and what God did through him. Every bit of it. So I ask you a question. If the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ, then what should our ministry be? To glorify Jesus Christ, not ourselves. Because the Holy Spirit never spends a moment. So those people who want to take Jesus versus the Holy Spirit as to who's deeper in their faith, I challenge you, how can you do that when the Holy Spirit's not? The Holy Spirit isn't saying I'm a better edition of Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit says, I'm here to glorify Jesus, and Jesus was here to glorify God, and now we should all understand why we're here. To bring glory to God. It also shows us that the work of the Holy Spirit is to take us to a life deeper and deeper and deeper as we walk by faith. So what does this mean to me practically? The Holy Spirit is trying to teach me. It's been funny how many times I've read the Bible, just occupationally, it's necessary for me to stay in the word and study and learn. And it's funny how many times I will teach through a text and see nothing and then teach through a text another time and this bright light goes off and I think, how come I didn't see that five years ago? Do you hear what Jesus said? There are some truths that he brings to you as you're able to comprehend them. And where does that comprehension come from? Through the Holy Spirit. So this is what it tells me. I have no excuse to live at the level I'm currently living at. I should have nothing but great expectation that Jesus Christ is gonna take me deeper and deeper and deeper and I'm gonna produce more fruit and more fruit because I will abide in him. How about you? Do, do we want that, church? And I don't ask it like, you know, football coach, do you wanna win? That's a dumb idea. I just ran into another human being. Of course I wanna win. But for us Christians, we're so comfortable that I wonder if any of us really want to go deeper because the power is abiding in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'll take you deeper if that's where you're willing to go. You see, the Holy Spirit is my capability. The Holy Spirit is my capacity. I can go as deep as God will take me. I can't go very deep on my own. So if you're walking today by your own power, your own intellect, your own ability to count the cost, you've misunderstood what our Jesus told us. He said, I want to convict you of the areas of life that I can change, and then I want to take you deeper into the comprehension of the power and might of Jesus Christ. The job of the Holy Counselor is not so much to give us information as to inspire us to let it affect us. John 14, 26, listen to the words of Jesus. I will leave and the spirit will come and take all the things I've been teaching you and make them known. That's the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts in light of that verse and you'll find out our master has never lied to us one time. Let's continue, verse 14, John 16. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The method of his ministry is to bring glory into all things. He comes to convict us of change, to bring us comprehension of who Jesus Christ is and what his kingdom's all about, and thirdly, to bring glory in all things. Jesus says he will bring glory to me. Not Mark, but to Jesus. And if God shares his glory with us, it should only be reflected back to him. The chief purpose is not to make himself prominent, but to magnify Jesus. The word glory has weight in scripture. It's a power word. It's an extremely significant concept for us to grasp onto. He makes God a reality to people, a reality. If you're taking notes, just to keep you awake, write down underneath here the word reality. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is not just to make things interesting, it's to show us how real it all is. 
Let me explain what I think that looks like. And this may appear a bit harsh this morning, but I really what I want to do is I want us to wake up to this abiding power that's available to us. Because to know that there's a power in Christ and not to choose to live by it is wasting a life. And it's wasting what Jesus brought us. Now, we all know this. You see some people who have great artistic ability, right? You know a few people who can draw or paint or write, and you think, wow, what a gift. And if they decided to use none of that, what would you say to them? Write, paint, draw. You see athletes, and you see this gift that they have. They're over and above all of their peers, and they don't even realize it until they start competing. And then they realize, this game's easy to me, and these other slugs are struggling. What do we say to that athlete? Perform. Use your God-given abilities to do what you do. There are some of you that understand machinery and some of you that understand people and God has gifted you and he's built you to do certain things and the world says, pursue that, pursue that. Your preacher stands before you today and said, no matter how gifted you are in the eyes of the world, Jesus Christ has said to you, I have power for you. I'm asking you to use it. Live in it. Do whatever you do to the glory of God. Because there's too many frustrated Christians who don't understand the solutions in Jesus, not in themselves. For instance, what's the difference between a person living a religious standard and, a, and being a spirit-led Christian? What's the difference between a good American Christian and a spirit-led Christian? Because in our country, we don't know that we care that there's a difference, but there is. You see, it's not so much what they believe about the truth. It's whether or not they let the glory of the truth become a reality to them. It's whether or not they choose to let it change their reality. You see, religion is about me. Christianity is about God. Which one are you living for? You see, we believe in the love of God, but why do we feel snubbed, slighted, and why do we react so harshly to criticism? Because we don't believe in the reality of God's love being greater than what mankind thinks of us. I have to confess before you, the elders are probably snickering right now. I don't take criticism well. I want you all to like me, and yet every day I give you reason not to. And then I get upset when someone's upset with me. Instead of understanding the Lord say to me, Mark, you are loved regardless of whether you've been right or wrong. Live in my love and then you can love others in return, even when they're critical. So I struggle with the reality of God's love every day, but the Holy Spirit convicts me. And when I want to respond, the Holy Spirit says, no, just receive. Live in the comfort of God's opinion of you, not in man's. It's hard, isn't it? It's horribly hard. I'm probably good one out of 10 times. But that one time I stop and go, I think this is the way I'm supposed to live. You see, we believe in the wisdom of God, but why are we afraid and worried? Why are we afraid what the world thinks about our stance on biblical truth? Why do we care what the courts decide? Why do we care if Hollywood mocks us? Do we believe that God's word is true? Is it worth dying for? then we have to live in that reality and let the words of the world fall by the wayside and announce to them that there is a greater truth. But we don't announce it as if we're better. We announce it as if they need it too. Gently, with humility, with peace. 
we believe in the wisdom of God, yet we're, we're afraid because we've not let God's wisdom become our reality. Why do we do things in dark, secret places that we don't want anybody else to know about? Why? Because we don't believe the holiness of God is real, that it's worth living for, that there's a joy and a reward in living in the holiness of God. I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but every one of us knows an area of our life where the power of the Holy Spirit is not influencing our reality. And Jesus said, abide in me and you will produce fruit. And when the world comes down hard on you, I'm gonna send a counselor, a holy counselor, who's gonna lead you into truth and gonna show the reality of God. And if you live to glorify God, you're like the painter who paints, the athlete who runs, the singer who sings. Because that's what you're made for. And your capability is not in you. Your capability is in him. You see, I often think that when things aren't going well, I need to change my circumstances. Or there's some trick I'm missing. I need more information. No. Jesus said I need more of his spirit. So when I'm struggling to know what to do, when I can't break my addiction when I'm not living at home the way I need to live, I'm not loving my wife and my kids, I'm not being the citizen I need to be, I'm not being the worker I need to be, I'm not being the person I need to be, I don't need more information or a new job or a new set of circumstances. I need more of the power and the the ability to hear the Holy Counselor so I can become more like Jesus. Every one of us. Because we're pulling the rope, hoping one day we'll just get to the end of it, And Jesus said, that's not why I made you. I made you to live to God's glory while you're holding the rope. It's not about getting to the end of the rope. It's about holding the rope to the glory of our king until he returns. A big problem in our lives is unreal things have become too real. And the real things of Christ have not become real enough. Now, if you're me, and please don't be, but if you are, And you're sitting in the audience this morning, you're going, okay, 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 I get it. How do I do it? I'd love to just walk off stage right now and make you come back next week. (laughs) But here's what I need you to know. There are certain things the Bible tells us we need to be engaged in so that the Spirit's voice can be crystal clear amidst all the other noises we hear. I'm going to tell you this. It's not about a habit. But if you're not reading the word of God every day, you're hearing more sermons that are anti-God than you're ever hearing from the word of our king. Reading the Bible is not something you do to check off your list like taking a vitamin. We read the word of God because every day we need to be reminded of the power of God, the holiness of God, and to let that truth remind us all the time. Why do we take the Lord's Supper every week? It's not because we're different than other churches or we think we do it better than other churches. We take it every week because you cannot be reminded enough of the sacrifice of our King and the great thing that equalizes all of us. Why should you pray every morning, every evening? Why should you pray every moment of your walking life? It's not because prayer makes up for your mistakes. We pray because we need to remind ourselves that there is a God who so digs us and wants to be involved in every area of our life and the Holy Spirit will feed your prayers and he will speak to the Father words that your heart can't get out. It's not about being religious. It's about being sold out to our King and living in the abiding power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another daily, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Daily. 
Too many of us are believing in realities that aren't real and ignoring the real that should be our reality. In John 16, verse 15, Jesus said these words, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. Some of us are scared of the Holy Spirit. We're scared that we're gonna come to church some Sunday and start doing cartwheels down the aisle. Or all of a sudden we're gonna become so super Christian that we can't say a word without it sounding like a sermon. Chill. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you obnoxious. The Holy Spirit makes you real. And when people know the love that you have for God, that's going to entice some. Yeah, it'll push others away. But we're not to worry about that. We're to preach the word gently with love. And the Holy Spirit is our source to take us deeper, to teach us more, to make it real. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do I get the Spirit? Well, you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ because the only place in the New Testament I find that the promised filling of the Holy Spirit comes is when you submit yourself to a water death to walk cleansed in a new life. And then after that, you surrender every moment, every day to the reality of God and watch the great counselor take you deeper. If you wanna know what that means, you wanna make that choice, I encourage you to go to one of the tables where the lamps are lit. Because at those tables, we'd like to have a conversation with you. Maybe not this morning. Maybe we meet for a cup of coffee. Maybe you might want to talk to one of our counselors or have someone pray for you. Maybe you want to say, I want to go deeper, but these obstacles, I can't see them for myself. Can I have help? That's why we're the church. We're not the church to get together on Sunday mornings. We're the church to get together every moment, to walk together, to disciple one another, to exhort one another daily because Jesus Christ is worth it. Amen? Let's sing praises to him.